I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Oakland, how you feeling? Guys, we are the Freeze. We are your house band for the evening. We're going to make up some songs, and we're going to start it off because it's mortified by taking it back in the day. Back in the day when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. But some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Back in the day when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. But some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Back in the day when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. Welcome to a special edition of the Mortified Podcast. I'm Neil. And what you're hearing is a recording of something that makes us nostalgic right now, even though it was only recorded this past November. We obviously miss going to the live shows and being able to do them, not just because of the actual show itself, but because it's where we get to see and hang out with our community. The storytellers and the tech crew and the bartenders and everyone who busts their butt to make a show happen. So rather than doing what we normally do on the show, playing clips of live shows, we decided to do something we've never done on the podcast before. And that is share an entire live show. The following event was recorded on November 9th, 2019 at the New Parish in Oakland. In this recording, you'll get to hear things you don't normally hear in the podcast. You'll hear one of our live event hosts welcome the crowd, extended versions of some stories, as well as live music from a house band. Speaking of which, the music heard in today's show is by The Freeze, whose songs are totally improvised right on the spot. And now, close your eyes as we open the venue doors and take you inside to a crowded and noisy room where you'll sit amongst friends. Enjoy the show. Sit back, relax, enjoy the show, cause we are the freeze. And this is how we go, come on. Back in the day when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. Some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Welcome to Mortified Oakland! Hey guys, welcome to Mortified Oakland. Hi guys, how's it going? 
And you guys seem so amazing already, so thank you. Uh, so this is Mortified. Uh, if you've not seen Mortified, I will explain what you're about to bear witness to. People are reading from only the stuff that they wrote as a teenager, from diaries, poems, today even attempted novels, things that they wrote before the age of 19 that they did not know that there would be 300 drunk people listening to them like 20 years later. So thank you for coming, and please give it up for the four brave souls about to be mortified. Thank you. everybody. Uh, my name is Mark. I kept a journal from uh, the ages of 10 years old until I was 26. This journal specifically takes place uh, between my sixth grade and ninth grade years. And when I was in sixth grade, I was not the man who stands before you today. I was skinny and like hella skinny, like super, super skinny. And due to the skinniness, um, jocks constantly picked on me and uh, made me feel bad about myself. And so I had to find something that made me feel better, and that outlet was women. Um, <laughs> however, at, at that point, you know, I had a undiagnosed case of ADD. It didn't get diagnosed until much, much later in life. And the thing is, I, I could get girls, and I could have a girlfriend, and, and that didn't seem to be the issue. But my parents had this great relationship, and I, all I wanted was this long-lasting, loving relationship. And for some reason, I couldn't, couldn't realize why I couldn't keep a girlfriend for, like, longer than a week. <laughs> and then as I went back and kind of read my journal, uh, getting it ready for Mortified, my ADD riddled journal, it became very obvious. <laughs> so here we go. 2-20-92. Today, me, Jessica, Travis, Mark, Erica, and Stephanie went to the library. It was really cool because Erica asked Mark out, and I French Jessica. <laughs> That's all I wrote in that entry. 2-27-92. I'm so, I don't know, well, fucking mad. My girlfriend Jessica just dumped me. What a crock. She was the first girl that I ever kissed. Yesterday, I got humiliated in front of the gym. I had to do 25 perfect push-ups in front of everybody. What a crock. <laughs> the past few days have been horrible. Well, gotta go, bye. Two twenty-eight ninety-two. Today I found out Jessica is gonna dump Mark H for Nate. Ha <laughs> ha! I went out with Erica. I don't know why. I, I, I don't know why I'm attracted to Erica. I don't even think I am. I think I might be going out with her to make Jessica jealous. Or maybe I do like her. Today I just wanted to hug her, but she French me instead. Her Frenches are terrible. <laughs> I hope they improve. <laughs> They're not like Jessica's French kiss at all. She was better at it. A lot better. Or maybe it was the sparks I felt because I loved her. Aww. Yeah, you won't be saying that later. Today, I wore a Walnut Creek, California 94596 t-shirt. 
You know, like Nana 210. Some people thought it was funny. Some people hated it. I miss Jessica very much. God, if you're listening, please bring her back to me if you exist and you're reading this. Three, five, ninety-two. Hey, what's up? I'm pissed off. Right now, I'm listening to Metallica. That's right. <laughs> I hate Sarah. I wish she didn't let people write stuff about me in her binder. Me and Erica broke up. We kind of dumped each other, but now she's telling everyone that she dumped me. I have to rest. Bye. Five twenty-seven ninety-two. Oh my gosh, so much stuff has happened since I last wrote. Let me fill you in. My friend Robin invited me to go camping, so I got to skip school on Friday. On the way up there, I kind of started like Marika, Robin's sister, and she had this friend named Athena, and she was nice too. So quickly, I will tell you what we did. Lit four boxes of matches and set a tree on fire. chased cars and threw rocks at them, <laughs> then stole the little metal caps off of every car in the park, ran into some posses, met some stoners, made fun of the ranger to his face, <laughs> practiced a skit and did a lip sync. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that's badass in here, but... <laughs> Blindfolded each other, burned pictures of our teachers, and sat around the campfire talking. And to this day, I don't know why we had pictures of our teachers when we were camping. <laughs> 8292. Geez, long time no right. Guess what? I'm going out with this nice, fine girl named Megan. That's right. <laughs> Isn't that such a sexy and exotic name? Megan. I got braces. They're kind of weird. Tomorrow I have to get eight teeth pulled out. I liked candy. <laughs> Before that happens, I'm gonna French her again. She says I'm a good kisser. I'm in love again, and boy, does it feel good. 916.92. It's been a while since I've written. Sorry. <laughs> I just finished writing a, reading a book called Go Ask Alice. Mm. <laughs> Some of you know this. It was a real girl's diary. She took drugs. I never have and never will try. <laughs> Ten sixteen ninety I'm gonna be a psycho for Halloween. I got a Sega Genesis too. I saved up my own money. I'm still going out with Megan, but last weekend I went to Alexis's and Avi's house and it was fun. We played Truth or Dare and I Frenched this one girl and she gave me a cold sore. I'm letting my hair grow long like my idol, Tom Petty. <laughs> His songs really know how to get girls hot. See ya. 
10.27.92. My life sucks. Why does this have to happen to me? Megan dumped me. I love her so much. But by her letter, it sounds like she never wants to hear from me again. She didn't even put a return address on the envelope. I kind of like Rachel, but I love Megan. And I don't think she loves me anymore. Sometimes I just want to kill myself. Then again, there's good stuff too. Like I just got the part as a sailor in the play South Pacific. 103092. I'm grounded for life. Today, the police called my parents about my prank calling. And my mom and dad had to take me to the police station. It was awful. They played back all of the messages. that me, Cyrus, and Avi left on the machines. Some of them were funny, like us reading Curious George. But some of them were me yelling, I'm gonna eat your pussy and cunt! And my mom looked terrified. I feel so bad. 829.93. I have changed. (laughs) We're in eighth grade now at this part. At first, I thought I was the only one, but apparently not. Megan has changed. She left today. We almost kissed, but for some reason, I said no. And we didn't. I read the firm in the Pelican Brief. (laughs) 11.593. I'm sitting here in my bed listening to rap while my life is falling apart. My new school started off with a good start, but it's slowly gone downhill. Oh well, I'm the scarecrow in the drama class's Wizard of Oz. What has happened to me? I've joined karate because I have the nickname Muscles at our school because I'm skinny. I got it from some stupid sports jock named Nick. Now everyone's calling me Muscles. Well, I have to go. A girl named Melissa said she'd meet me at the dance tonight, but I'm not going. Sorry, Melissa. (laughs) Long time no right. So many things have happened. Like Rebecca, I-S-H-T. So as I started getting older, um, I started doing more, uh, getting more sexually, I don't know what the fuck you call it. But uh, yeah, lots of sex stuff started happening and I needed to write about it in my journal because I had nobody else to tell it about. Uh, but I didn't know if my parents were like snooping into my room and figuring everything out. And so I used acronyms because I am fucking smart and they, <laughs> they won't find out about anything. Uh, but as I go back and I'm looking through my journal, I'm realizing that the acronyms are actually way fucking worse than um, what I actually did. Like, F.K was French kiss. And so. With um, ISHT, you would think that I shit on Rebecca. It's 
arrested for sucked her tits. Can you believe that? Four thirty ninety-five. I got into my first, well, I don't know if you call it fight with Beth. All I can seem to do is talk and talk and talk and talk. She's so rad. I love how she listens. I've lost so many close people because I don't give them any space. So this is the last uh, entry in the journal. And this is right um, beginning of freshman year. 10 o'clock. Don't know what to do. Katie is my best friend, and now suddenly we're going out. I FB her, and it was kind of sick. Finger bang. Um, I, I like her and all, but I kind of like this girl named Lindsay. I'm not going to dump Katie, though, because I haven't given our relationship enough time yet. And I, I don't know if I like her or not, but I can't break up with her because of the whole, in quotes, friend thing. She offered to give me a BJ, blowjob. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, but I turned her down because my parents were coming home. She's just too aggressive. The only thing on her mind is music and sex. I wish she'd just watched the news for once. I just look back at my old journal entries and I'm feeling kind of sentimental. Things are so much different now than they were. I'm listening to the Cranberries, Ace of Bass, Jerky Boys, Nirvana, Nine Inch Nails, and Green Day. I wonder if anybody will ever read this stuff. So... Thank you, guys. Um, so uh, time went on, and I finally found, um, you know, that I could be in long-lasting, loving relationships as, as I got older and my brain got a little bit better, and I got a prescription for Adderall. So thank you, guys. Have a good night. Mm. All right. Okay. But listen, oh my gosh, I'm on a mission. All these girls I just wanna be kissing. It's getting hot up in the kitchen. Uh, I always leave them wanting more and leave them with a cold sore. And missing teeth, hey, is your refrigerator running? I'm gonna eat pussy, oh my mom is coming. Yeah, you know the deal, you never tire But now we all know who 
for the Northern California fire. Oops. Mark, yeah, a different girl every week. Every week. He's a motherfucking, motherfucking gangster, a walnut creep. A shit all over the place. It's Mark, yeah, he got ADD. I got AD what? But he's a motherfucking, motherfucking gangster, a walnut creep. What a crock! Hi, everybody. My name is Anik, and I started writing these journals when I was 13. Back then, I always wanted what I couldn't have. So I started focusing on some things that were truly unattainable. The new kids on the block... Yes, I got some fans out here. Um, And Mark Wahlberg. Uh, But hold up. (laughs) So back then, he wasn't like this big shot, you know, Hollywood producer and A-list actor. He was Marky Mark. Uh, All right, awesome. You guys know this. of Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Um, Okay, 12-1-89. My birthday wish is going to be to meet the new kids. I think I realized the new kids on the block aren't good for me. (laughs) Say I married one of them. (laughs) I really don't think I would be able to hack it. I would hardly ever see my husband, and well, if we had a child, it wouldn't be good for the kid either. (laughs) I wonder what kind of example it would be on the kid. January 17th, 1990. Still can't get used to the fact it's 1990. (laughs) Well, on Sunday, I saw a movie with Melissa Gilbert. And just to make sure everyone knows, Melissa Gilbert is originally from Little House on the Prairie. And she is Sarah Gilbert's older sister, if you know from Roseanne fame. Um, So uh, her fiancé was really good-looking. You could see he really cared about her. That is exactly the kind of guy I want to marry. I know I love Jonathan Knight of New Kids on the Block, but I know I might not ever get to even meet him. (laughs) I just don't love him because he's so famous. I love him because he seems so nice, caring, sensitive, and I know he loves animals. (laughs) Especially dogs. I sure can't wait to marry someone like that when I get older. Other stuff happened too, but they're not important. Until next time. (laughs) January 18th, 1990. I talked to Lisa tonight, and she invited the new kids to her sister's Sweet 16. There's a good chance they'll go, because they're going to be on the telethon for several palsy. And that's exactly how I spelled it. Several. (laughs) Give me luck. Bye. January 19th, 1990. Today I went to school as usual. Lisa brought more teen magazines. When I was looking at what they each find in a girl, a lot of them said she had to be cute or good looking. John said she had to be sweet, charming, honest, and that looks weren't everything. Now that caught my heart. (laughs) That's for sure. I don't know how long I could last without meeting him. Just if I could look into his eyes, I would love it. Age doesn't matter. Height does, right? (laughs) 
I hope and I wish and pray that I could at least meet him. It is so tough knowing that I love him, but I have never met him in person. I love him so much, you know? You know what I'm saying? You get it? Uh, February 22nd, 1990. 21 days left till the New Kids concert. Here is a letter I would give to Jonathan Knight. I'll know why and when I would. Jonathan, I like you so much because you seem so sweet, honest, caring, and kind. The reason I'm giving you this is because I couldn't meet you in person. If I did, I wouldn't act myself. I really don't know how I would act. I wish so much that there wasn't any new kids. Well, I'm glad there is, but I really wish you were just some plain, normal guy who's not famous and is not related to or know anyone famous. Uh, what my dream is, is that one day I hope to just bump into you when New Kids is over and not around anymore. <laughs> I hope to get into a conversation and I will get to know you and vice versa, as I really am. And I will say, I can't believe that I haven't asked you what your name is. You will say, it's Jonathan Knight. <laughs> Duh. I will say, I'm so sorry I didn't recognize you. You will say, that's okay, I'm glad you did it. Then we will go on from there. It would be like destiny or fate. Great dream, huh? Don't worry, I never stop dreaming. Who knows, dreams can come true and it can happen to me. <laughs> December 5th, 1991. Well, Kay and Lisa, whom I was just talking on the phone with, are mad at me and vice versa. First of all, Kay is at Lisa's, and the three of us were talking about what we're going to give Marky Mark at the concert and how we're going to dress. All we could think about was how we were going to give him a picture and a letter. So I thought I would ask my brother about how we could attract Mark's attention. I mean, after all, we are going to be in the front row. Well, my brother said to dress like a slut. <laughs> Whew. I mean, I know I am. <laughs> December 28th, 1991. I just went to a real Marky Mark concert. Woohoo! Lisa, Kay, and I had front row. When Mark came out, they wheeled in this big black crater box. Mark came out from inside it, and Donnie and Jordan were just sitting there inside. Mark looked so hot. He came in front of us a lot. <laughs> I touched him three times. <laughs> Mark took a flower from Lisa. After he performed about three songs or two songs, he went into the black box where Jordan and Danny, Donnie were, and he took off his clothes while the rest of the funky bunch performed. Then he came out after them and started rapping the love song. He was only wearing boxers. Then he sang this song, I Need Money, and this girl actually gave him real money. <laughs> so he kissed her and took it. <laughs> So I decided to take out a dollar and I held my arm out and he came over and actually took it. No kiss, though. Uh, totally sucks. I was in shock and he put the dollar in his pocket. 
he must have grabbed himself so many times when he did the love song. He also said, I wish I could have sex with every one of you girls and made us chant, sex, sex, sex. I love Mark so much. He is so hot and sexy. Bye. I want Marky Mark. Friday, October 23rd, 1992. I just came back from the Shamana dance not too long ago. I saw this guy who was pretty cute, and I really wanted to dance with him if a slow song came on. I just went right up to him and asked him to dance, and he said yes. I was, thanks. <laughs> it's cool. I was so happy. He said his name was Adam, and I told him mine. At the end of the night, he asked me if I had a pen so he can give me his phone number. I think I really do like him a lot. Good night. Sunday, November 1st, 1992. Adam came over, remember him? <laughs> I've been talking to him this whole week. We went into the TV room and he said, let's arm wrestle. So we did. <laughs> then we were watching the movie, Some Kind of Wonderful, and we just started kissing. I like him so much. He's such a sweetheart. Bye. I heart Adam. Monday, November 23rd, 1992. Well, it's been exactly one month since I met Adam, and I'm going out with him. I really like him. It's really strange liking someone for a change because all the guys I usually like don't like me. I can't believe, yeah, I can't believe I'm so attracted to him. The thing is, I still have feelings for other guys, like Javier. <laughs> November 30th, 1992. <laughs> I spoke to Adam last night at 9 o'clock. When we say goodbye, we usually just say I'll miss you or something, but out of nowhere, he said I love you. Yeah, I, I was in shock. So I just said, I'll miss you. <laughs> and he said something after that, but I don't know what it was. <laughs> Then we just said bye to each other. I just don't understand how he could say he loves me after one month and one week. Good night. <laughs> Friday, May 28th, 1993. I think I really am getting tired of Adam and our whole relationship. <laughs> I mean, we've been going out for seven months now and not once have I seen him on the 23rd, our anniversary day. He's never done anything like gotten me flowers or a card even for no exact reason the hell with him <laughs> so I ended up having more relationships after that that followed the same pattern um, and then I did finally meet that guy who is sweet caring sensitive and kind and loves animals especially dogs Scott right over there <laughs> 11 years married with a daughter and a dog, Frenchie. Um, I also, you know, dreams do sometimes come true. And I met Jonathan Knight on woo, the 2015 New Kids on the Block cruise. And I have to say, it was everything I imagined it would be. <laughs> but I didn't pretend not to know him. Um, and he, too, has since gotten married. Um, 
to his lovely husband. <laughs> Thank you. You're listening to a very special edition of the Mortified Podcast recorded live in Oakland at the New Parish. Uh, hi, I'm Margot, and growing up, I was a pasty, depressed vegetarian. I'm so pale in my photograph, I'm basically clear. Um, uh, the only glimpse of happiness I had was three weeks between the, uh, the summer after freshman year of high school when I went away to a camp for sleepaway camp for youth who excel in the arts. I know that's kind of an summer after freshman year is an odd age to start sleepaway camp, but that's when I did. And I, I really fit in very well there because there everyone was depressed. Um, I made a lot of friends. I starred opposite in a play with this uh, uh, handsome camp counselor named Roberto. And we... Me and a bunch of my camp friends kept, touch, kept in touch after camp writing letters, including with Roberta. And I didn't see any of them after camp until a few years later, uh, my parents and I went on a spring vac- break vacation to St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. And after about three days of them dealing with Sylvia Plath on the beach, just like covered in SBF 98, studying for the SATs, I approached my happily married parents and I was like, hey, uh, my friend, Roberto, an older Puerto Rican gentleman you've never met, um, lives just a quick puddle jumper away. And I was wondering if you'd like to put me, your 17-year-old virginal daughter, um, on a plane alone to go see Roberto. And they were like, please leave. So they then paid for me to get on a plane. And there's no surprises of how this story ends. I got to Puerto Rico and I fucked Roberto. That's, there's no other way that could have happened. And then I came back to New Jersey and I uh, took a notebook and I wrote one journal entry in it that was 22 pages <laughs> chronicling the before, during, and after of my virginity loss, disguised it, then the front row can see, disguised it in a notebook labeled chemistry to throw off my mother. <laughs> it worked. And uh, I'll just read for you some excerpts. I've whittled it down, way down. Okay. I walked out of the terminal and there he was and a light purple collared shirt with denim shorts and black sandals. (laughs) As we were riding back, I got the song Silent All These Years by Tori Amos in my head. There's a line in that song that goes, and with everybody looking at you, you take hold of my hand. And I thought to myself, if he takes hold of my hand, I'll let it go further than just a friendship. And if he doesn't, I'll just leave it as is, which is okay, too. 
And suddenly, within five or ten seconds of that thought, he took one hand off the steering wheel and he took mine. His friend Roxanne was in the back seat, and I'm sure she saw, but it didn't matter. (laughs) With everyone looking, he took hold of my hand. (laughs) No one else's. Nothing perverted or sleazy about it, sheer romance. (laughs) We dropped Roxanne off. He took me to this beautiful area in old San Juan. We stood there with his arms around me, staring at the view. And ever so slowly, he turned around and he kissed me. A beautiful kiss, soft, confident, and very sincere. His touch was so gentle upon my breasts. It, it was very obvious that he was a caring lover and had, that he had had his fair share of experiences. <laughs> I remember thinking, should I stop this? We work so well together as friends, yet the thought that kept repeating in my brain was, this is good, finally, this is happening between us. We moved over to the grass, and it continued there. He was so sensual, and I mean that to the utmost degree. (laughs) Touching me and kissing me and putting all his heart into it. Not the half-assed childish groping I've been so accustomed to lately. When he went down on me, I <laughs> I knew that he must respect and care for me very much to do that. <laughs> uh, per- parentheses, especially since I wouldn't do it for him, and parentheses. After much activity, I started to tire out. And he sensed that being the perceptive person he always has been. So we just lied there together, practically naked, together. And so we lied there together, holding each other, talking, and then went for a walk. We ended up at the other side of the castle. It was even more beautiful there. And so he kissed me again, this time with more passion and vigor than ever before. And before we realized it, we were both totally naked. Standing there in this beautiful place, pleasuring each other to the utmost degree. Just, just the through line. This is the 90s where, uh, and so I'm very obsessed with not, there's this B plot that I'm obsessed with not getting AIDS and you can see this in this story. It's subtle, but you'll see it. Okay. For example, in this part. Okay, and right before things got too extreme, I said, if you're gonna do something, you better have something. 
And he said, not here. And with that, we continued. Then I said I could resist him. In fact, I would resist him all the way to the car. So he kept trying to seduce me, and I kept ignoring him. And he began to get very frustrated. And so he picked me up, and he threw me to the ground, and he started kissing me. And I kept saying, no, leave me alone, all jokingly. And suddenly he stopped and said, I can't do this. I feel like I'm raping you, and I don't want to feel like that. And I thought that was just the sweetest, most adorable thing. (laughs) Most adorable thing he could say. Soon after, we returned to his house. There was such passion in his every movement, such concern. He really wanted to please me and was very concentrated. He would kiss my lips and then my neck and then my chest also sweetly, yet very strongly and assuring. I loved kissing his chest. He's a little chubby, but I found comfort in that. (laughs) A few moments later, as he was laying on top of me, looking down at me with his dark hair all tousled, his shirt off, and his eyes staring at me and my naked body, he said, should I go get a condom? And I said, do you want to? And he said, only if you do. That's what did it for me. (laughs) The fact that he wanted to make sure I was comfortable with it. I said, I want to. And he said, so do I. And so he went to go get a condom. And I went to the bathroom. I wasn't nervous or scared, just happy and perfectly quintessential. (laughs) Knowing that I was about to sleep with my co-star and camp friend, Roberto Frau. He began kissing me and touching me all over. And when his clothes came off, I asked him to put it on. (laughs) And so he did. And there is nothing more romantic than safe sex. (laughs) The feeling of this is okay, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing, makes everything so much more enjoyable. He asked me if we should put on more lubricant. I said, it didn't really matter. And he said, well, I don't want to hurt you. (sighs) Finally, I meet a guy who doesn't want to hurt me. He lives in fucking Puerto Rico. (laughs) At one point, he just took both of my hands and looked into my eyes and didn't exactly smile, but stared at me very reassuringly. I'll remember that look as long as I live. Those deep brown eyes staring at me as our hands were intertwined and our bodies literally attached. (laughs) We had so much fun there just laughing. At one point he said, we're such good friends, we do everything together. Then we spoke of seeing each other again and we pinky swore that we'd see each other at least one more time. I don't think I'm in love with him. Although I love him terribly, the whole situation was just so incredibly beautiful. 
like some unrealistic love story you've always dreamed of. A tall, dark, and handsome older guy sweeping you off your feet with fine dining, beautiful scenery, and romantic settings. And it all happened to me. It's hard coming back to New Jersey life without him. (laughs) But he made me happy. A noble accomplishment. (laughs) I'll see him again someday. Perhaps in a few months. Perhaps a few years. Perhaps when I'm 30 and divorced. (laughs) He's 31 and single. Perhaps he'll show up at my doorway tomorrow. Any way you look at it, I will see him again. And that's the only thing in my topsy-turvy life that I can count on. Which, in its strange little way, is a beautiful thing. Okay, so I'll give you a... There's an update. There's a lot of updates. Okay. (laughs) So this... I did see him again. So he went to college in Boston, and I lived in New Jersey. And again, I don't know if it was that it was the 90s or that I was the youngest child or if that my parents were bad parents, but they didn't care again. And they would put me on an Amtrak train to Boston, like on the weekends. And then I would go to his college and just like get fucked. And then I'd come back to geometry on Monday and people would be like, how was your weekend? I was like, it was great. How are you? You know, I was, um, that went on for a while. And uh, still, it was, we were very ahead of our time. It was non-committal. It was just, we were like lovers. And uh, then I went off to college. And uh, uh, he told me when I was, he visited me at college once. And he had told me that he had recently been with a man. And, um, and I, in my 19-year-old brain in the late 90s, was like, well, that means that he's, 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 he's only with men now. And that's it. So I thought that. And so we wrapped it up. And we both date other people. And we move on with our lives. Okay. So then, a couple years ago, now, I'm disappointed in myself because I was over 30 and still married. Um, (laughs) Boo. But I was doing a show, not this show, thank God, in Washington, D.C. And via social media, Roberto was like in town on business and he saw that I was there and he's like, I'll come meet you after the show, we'll go out. So we go out and we sit down and I start, we start talking and a lot of things come out. And one of the things that came out he, was that he was also lost his virginity to me that day. No, it's virgin on virgin. It's disgusting, disgusting. Okay. So he, that came out. Okay. Also, it came out that he was like, Margo, I'm, I'm really not that much older than you. We're, I'm, I, we were born in the same year. I'm just a grade ahead of you. And I was like, what? And I go, but you were my camp counselor and I was a camper. And he was like, yeah, I was a very young counselor. You were a very old camper. I was like, oh, okay. And then he tells me a little bit about his love life. And, um... He, and I was like, oh, okay, so you, you're not, you, you're not, you know, in at 19, I labeled you as gay. Now I understand sexuality is different. He was like, oh, no, no, since you, I've been with about um, uh, uh, 13 or so women since you. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, oh, and I th- forgot to tell you, I, I'm a millionaire now. He was a fucking millionaire. 
okay? And then I go, well, wait, okay. So then I start thinking about all the disgusting comedians I have had sex with in my life and that I started with a millionaire. And then he says, he says, you know, and I go, well, how many men have you been with? And he was like, I don't know, maybe about 40. And I was like, I can get past 40 dicks. Who couldn't get past 40 dicks? It's fine, it's fine. So uh, we left it at that. I stayed with my husband, but I, door, door's a little bit open. I'll just leave it at that. Thank you. With your sexuality, I think about the way that you just rocked me yeah. and I masturbated inside of a car Weird. or by the castle. Not sure where we are. That's fine. You don't make me sick. No. That virgin on virgin action, that's not legit. Mm. But you a millionaire, so I can get over 40 dicks. <laughs> Pretty sure. Over Pretty 40 sure dicks. You know where this is gonna go. Mm. I'm definitely gonna fuck Roberto. You, you know, know where this is gonna, gonna go. go. I'm definitely like, gonna fuck Roberto. You know where this is gonna go. Hello. My name's Kevin. And uh, that's my rabbit. Um, his name's Wiggy. And uh, so when I was 16 years old, um, I became kind of obsessed with a book we read in my English class, The Catcher in the Rye. So that's not so unusual for a teenager, but what is unusual is what I thought should happen next. I decided what made the most sense was for me to become close personal friends with the author, J.D. Salinger, and I decided this in spite of what I knew about him, that he was a 70-year-old recluse who hated everyone. I, I was undeterred by this information and somehow managed to track down his address. And I wrote, I wrote him a seven-page letter focusing uh, predominantly on my perceived similarities to Holden Caulfield. And I sent off the letter. And um, so I'm going to read you a few excerpts, but just to make it extra embarrassing, I want you to know I have some family in the audience tonight, including my dad. <laughs> who, if I'm not mistaken, took that picture. <laughs> so, my letter to J.D. Salinger. December 10th, 1990. Dear J.D., 
I've been trying to write you a letter for quite a while now. I knew I needed to say something, but I couldn't figure out what it was. Don't get your hopes up. I still don't know precisely. But I have come to the conclusion that my, that my underlying need is to say to you, here I am. So, I am entitling this letter, Kevin. An introduction. I suppose what originally inspired me to write to you was the catcher in the rye. Quite often, I look at the world and see a bunch of phonies. For instance, for my English final, we had to read this essay called Real Men Short Hair. It was this back-assward essay by this coach from Texas saying that guys with long hair are all homosexuals and they all want to be women and women are meant to be dominated by men, etc. Anyway, we had to write a response. So I wrote a satirical Freudian analysis of the author. <laughs> A total, total joke. I made up all these disgusting sexual tableaus that he must have witnessed as a child. But when I read it aloud in class, everyone got grossed out. Since then, I hear they talk about me behind my back. Actually, I've had some terribly Freudian dreams recently. I sent this to J.D. Sanger. In one, I dreamt I had gotten this job, st stuffing straws into Coke bottles. Only the bottles were filled with ice. And then, a few nights later, I dreamt there was this big cigar vending machine, and everyone was getting cigars. And when I went up to the machine, I pushed the button for a regular-sized cigar. But what came out was so big... I couldn't smoke it at all. I had... I had to use it as a walking stick. And then, how about little kids? I worry about them a lot. Today, for instance, I was going Christmas shopping and there was this stage set up at the mall and these little kids were doing a little dance and I couldn't help but think what would become of them all. Those little girls in their little tutus. Who knows if they might all be whores someday. Where am I going, JD? <laughs> I 
I, I can't spend my whole life wandering around malls watching little kids. So, back to the initial question. Why am I writing to you? I would like to be your friend. How about it? Your friend, Kevin Andrew Wofsy. So, I sent the letter off and waited. But in the meantime, there was a second aspect to my obsession, which was to write my own better version of The Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> to refresh your memory, in the original, the main character, Holden, becomes obsessed with protecting the innocence of children from the corrupting influence of adulthood. In one scene, he runs into a nun and they have a brief conversation about Romeo and Juliet. Now this bothers Holden because he thinks that the nun must have to understand what sex is in order to understand the play. I like this concept of juxtaposing a nun and sex. <laughs> but I didn't think J.D. Salinger had taken it quite far enough. <laughs> I knew I could do better. Also, if Holden was just protecting the innocence of regular old children, I could have my main character, Hadley, protect full-on orphans. Now, everything I knew about orphans at this point came from two sources, Oliver Twist and, and Punky Brewster. And you, you may see these influences at work in chapter 10 of my 300-page novel, which is entitled Hadley's Playground. Chapter 10. I'd been sitting on the bench at the skating rink for a while when some little kid sat down and said, Hey, mister, got some gum? You shouldn't take candy from strangers, I told him. Yeah, yeah, up yours. Hey, what's your name anyway? Hadley, what's yours? Jimmy. The little guy shook my hand. We talked for a while, and then he went off to skate. After about half an hour, I saw this nun coming in. <laughs> she, went up, she went up to the edge of the rink and shouted, Orphans! <laughs> it's time to go! Jimmy turned and saw me. I just looked at him serenely and said, it's all right. After all, we're all orphans sometimes. <laughs> so after this, Hadley decides to help the orphans. Chapter 13. After school, I drove over to the orphanage. It was old and decrepit. The floor was covered with those vinyl tiles that looked like puke. <laughs> I went up to the counter where the head nuns sat. She looked like she was about 65, but she was pretty well-preserved. <laughs> For a nun. I told her I was there to see Jimmy. She called out to the assistant nun and told... 
<laughs> and told her to go fetch him. When she talked, her whole, mo- her whole mouth sort of shifted over to one side in this wry grin. She probably wanted to be British or something. Before long, the assistant nun came down with Jimmy. Turns out she was the one from the skating rink. Looked like she'd gained some weight since then. (laughs) So I didn't know much about nuns at this time in my life. I didn't know, for example, that if a nun's name was Mary, that you would address her as Sister Mary. I didn't, I really didn't know anything about nuns. And before I read this next part, I just want to say, if there are any nuns in the audience tonight, I'm very sorry. <laughs> Chapter 14. I was really curious about Nun Catherine. <laughs> Since she seemed so thoroughly unnunly. I asked Jimmy about it. What's the deal with Catherine's mouth? I mean, why is she always grinning like that? Oh, she's not really grinning. It's some medical thing that got her face stuck in that position. I think it has to do with her being paralyzed. She's paralyzed? Yeah, didn't you see the wheelchair? No. Yeah, she fell down a flight of stairs a long time ago, and she must have screwed up her face when she did it. (laughs) Pretty soon, pretty soon we drove back to Nun Central Station. (laughs) After... After Jimmy went to his room, Nun Catherine said we should talk. When I was your age, a nun is not exactly what people would have guessed I'd end up as. I got married right out of high school to a man whose sole attraction was his handsome appearance. He said he was a homosexual to avoid the draft. I knew all about it, but I didn't care because the sex was so damn good. So while everyone was off at war, Edgar was at home getting drunk and getting me pregnant. (laughs) And then one night, he came up to the apartment, drunk, asking where the hell dinner was. I told him there was no dinner because I had morning sickness. He stared me down and bellowed, You can't have morning sickness now, woman! It's night! and he started stalking me with a crazy look in his eyes. I vomited all over the floor. When I was done vomiting, I I picked up a lamp so I could defend myself. He backed me right into the wall, but I opened the door to the fire escape and went flying backwards three stories down to the pavement. I was paralyzed from the waist down. And the right side of my face hit the ground so hard they could never revitalize it. It will always be the dark side of the moon. And when they found me, my beautiful baby was just a puddle between my legs. (laughs) 
I already said I'm sorry. And I could never have children again. She was crying now, crying like mad with a huge grin on her face because only the left side could convulse. So what could I do, Hadley? There was really only one option for me, and that was the convent. It doesn't mean I ever embraced Catholicism. An orgasm isn't the only thing you can fake. And I know this place looks dreadful, but there isn't any money. My legs started shaking. That always happens when I get really angry. It's evil. It's pure evil that you barely scrape by while men like Donald Trump paper the walls of their mansions with $1,000 bills. 29 years ago. So after this encounter, Hadley can't stop thinking about the suffering and the injustice of the orphans. And he's trying to figure out how to solve it. Finally, he comes up with a plan. Chapter 17. On the way to the orphanage, I passed this rug store. And I stopped in and asked the manager if he had any scraps he didn't need. He said he had tons of them. Then I drove to the orphanage triumphantly and announced to nun Catherine that we were about to do some redecorating. She smiled. I mean, with her, it's hard to tell because the way her face is all paralyzed. But I could tell. Then we started nailing scraps of rug on top of that awful puke brown floor and everyone was getting teary-eyed because the place looked so much better. The orphanage had gone from sepia tones to psychedelic in one afternoon. Now, I'm going to stop there, because that's the image I want to leave you with, me and the orphans and the nuns. I'm not going to tell you about all the little things that have happened since then, because I'm not a reporter, and I never will be. I'm a poet, for better and for worse. And now I know what life is all about. So... As I was writing the novel, I kept waiting to hear back from J.D. Salinger. And eventually I did. Not only was my letter returned to sender unopened, but it had a stamp across it that I didn't even know existed. Refused. I worked my reaction to this into the novel. I had the craziest dream that night. I dreamt that author had written back to me. And inside the envelope, there was a plane ticket to his house. So I went there and I knocked on the door. He was old and disgusting. <laughs> and he kept spitting all over the place. The first words out of his mouth were, care for a hot dog? <laughs> then he said, between spits, so. Hadley, tell me about yourself. So I started talking. Only, while I was talking, he died. <laughs> right while I was in the middle of a sentence. I thought that was about the rudest thing ever. So I left 
and vowed never to have anything to do with him again. Thank you. Understand this character that I created. See, but is it reality? Am I Kevin? Am I Hadley? It's reality is being so badly. It's just, it just it grabs me and leaves me with a scar while I'm dreaming about Freudian cigars. And it's so big I can't even smoke it. But then this guy that wrote the book that had all my imagination off the hook. His name was J.D. Salinger. Yes, and I don't know how to rhyme with that. But I wrote to him like he was my best friend. Like my best friend. I said, J.D. It's me, Kevin J.D. It's me, it's Kevin J.D. An introduction. J.D. What do you have to say to me? Hi, I'm J.D. Salinger. Would you like a hot dog? No? Okay, well for me. So hey, listen, Kevin. I just wanted to thank you for the time and effort it took you to write that really creepy letter. Hey, thank you. It's not often that people of my note and stature receive letters that are so erudite and so inappropriate from fans. I understand that you're trying to rewrite my great American novel, but better. Good luck, fucker. And then he died. And I died. And then, and then he, he fucking died. died. And I died. And then and then he died. And then he died. And then he died. And then he died. But my novel was pretty good. That one's for you, Dad. Holy shit. Can we please give it up for the freeze? What? We saw, we saw some weird shit go down tonight. <laughs> uh, so every Mortified show, we've got this tradition where we like to review all the valuable lessons we've learned. What have we learned today? We learned that we wish that women, instead of sex, would really just watch the news for once. We discovered if you're in a boy band, it's totally appropriate to make adolescents chant sex and take money from them. We discovered that if someone goes down on you, they must really love and respect you very much. And we discover that orgasms aren't the only thing you can fake. But what we learned at Every Mortified is that we are freaks and we are fragile and we survive. Let's please give it up for all the performers who share themselves tonight. This concludes our special presentation of an entire Mortified Live event recorded November 9th, 2019 at the New Parish in Oakland. It featured appearances by Mark, Anique, 
Margot, and Kevin. If you're looking for a good read, Margot has published a few books on the art of storytelling. Check them out at margolightman.com. You can also find them on Amazon, along with Mortified's three books. Mark Schwartz, who was the first performer in today's show, just helped launch a campaign called Extra Beds Equals Extra Lives to build emergency housing for medical staff so they don't have to worry about bringing COVID home to their families. Donate by searching for Extra Beds Equals Extra Lives on GoFundMe. Scott Lifton served as the onstage host. And The Freeze, of course, served as the house band. Members include Brendan Hill, Lorne Nagel, Sanjay Pardonani, Brian Rodvian, and Olive Mitra. The live event was recorded by David Rowe. And this episode was edited and produced by Hadley Dion. And no, not that Hadley. Dave Nadelberg and myself, Neil Catcher, in the Rye, with additional editing provided by the great Aaron Garber. The Mortified Podcast is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX. And if you'd like to support Mortified right now, we would really love that. Please consider buying one of our books on Amazon, telling friends about our podcast or our TV series or documentary on Netflix, or by simply rating the podcast on whatever app you listen to it on. Of course, we realize attending a live show via podcast is not the same as the real thing, but we hope it proved healing on some level. Our thoughts are with everyone right now, especially all the wonderful employees at live event venues all across this country and the world. Until next time, we remind you that we are freaks, we are fragile, and please, everyone, stay safe out there.